Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Hey, if you're a fellow podcaster, let me tell you about Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. That's right. They're providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space, so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today and become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. And let them know the nerd sent you by adding our podcast, The Amazing Nerd Show, in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application. Once again, that's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. Nerds, it's time to suit up and nerd up. Launching Badass Rockabilly Track. Now preparing battle-ready clones. Time to save the world with some wrestling, video games, movies, horror, and more. Launching ANS in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, Christian, this week we're talking the debut of the Bad Batch. We also have reviews for the full season of Invincible and the horror film Jacob's Wife. That's right, and we're also going to be talking AEW's Blood and Guts. But before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it on the show, but We'll send you some amazing Nurture swag. Let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of Nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters, we're mere podcasters with opinions. Starting off this week, we got a massive Marvel Phase 4 trailer. That man next to you, he's your brother. That woman over there, she's your sister. Higher, further, faster, baby. That's right. part of one universe Wakanda forever! that moves ever upward and onward to greater glory so yeah this past monday morning marvel dropped a phase four hype trailer um that was just the perfect way to start off the week if you ask me uh, the first half of it was narrated by stan lee hitting you right in the feels and showing you some of the best and like touching moments of the mcu so far uh and then we kick into like phase four with a little new footage i think for black widow and shang chi i mean black widow i've seen so many different teasers and trailers by now i can't even tell what's what um i might have seen the entire movie now just in trailers at this point uh but anyway um but then we get our first look at like the eternal with like a very brief montage really highlighting its amazing cast. I mean, you get Selma Hayek on a horse, uh, Angelina Jolie wielding a sword, then a couple like group shots. It's not much, but I'm sure like a full trailer is coming sooner than later. But after that, we take a look at the title cards for the rest of Phase 4 with some like new reveals and dates. Uh, we start off with what we already know, uh, and that's pretty much all of 2021. Uh, we've got Black Widow coming out July 9th, 2021. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings coming out September 3rd, 2021. Uh, the Eternals coming out November 5th, 2021. And then uh, rounding things out for the year, we've got Spider-Man No Way Home coming out December 17th. 
2021. Uh, the new year starts with Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness coming out March 25th, 2022. Uh, Thor Love and Thunder coming out May 6th, 2022. Uh, Black Panther with a new subtitle, Wakanda Forever, coming out July 8th, 2022. And then another big reveal, uh, the Captain Marvel sequel is now titled The Marvels, uh, teasing the involvement of uh, Photon and Miss Marvel. Uh, that's coming out November 11th, 2022. Then we jump into the next year with Ant-Man and the Wasp, coming out February 17th, 2023. Then we get Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, coming out May 5th, 2023. And then we end things with a tease for the Fantastic Four film uh, that has no date attached to it yet. But I'm wondering if this is going to kind of end phase four for the MCU, which, if you ask me, is, I mean, kind of perfect. I mean, all in all, this might not have been like much in the grand like scheme of things. But I don't know. I, it was just enough, if you ask me, because it kind of felt like being like lost in the desert and finding a bottle of water like after, you know, a whole year without any Marvel films. Uh, it was just a nice way to get people excited for going back to the theaters and, you know, checking out the MCU again. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I might have watched it a couple or, you know, five or ten times. So uh, but anyway, Christian, your thoughts on the teaser? I mean, right off the bat, I was excited to see the uh, Captain Marvel's new title being the Marvels. I was like, oh, so legit we will have you know miss marvel in it and photon uh potentially and especially right after seeing um the costume leaks of her of miss marvel i got super excited for that and then she's like man just thinking about like how many movies we have lined up for these next few years i mean i it might not have seemed like a huge announcement while watching the video but i mean you know just thinking about just how much more is coming marvel wise it's just Bam, bam. Just this year alone, we're getting four films, which I just think is crazy, um, especially after the like everything that's been going on in the world and stuff like that. So, no, I agree 100%. And that Miss Marvel costume is just uh, fantastic. Um, yes, they're on. The, I mean, the MCU is just killing it with like the uh -huh. comic book accurate like <laughs> costumes now. So, I mean, definitely more power to them because you remember like hearing for years with like Fox, like, oh, well, the Wolverine costume doesn't translate well on film. Yeah, fuck you, bullshit. Exactly. <laughs> Wolverine better show up with his fucking yellow spandex on, goddammit. Absolutely. They teased it in those fucking movies, which was stupid as well, uh, by the way. I agree. I, I agree. <laughs> but speaking of the MCU, Loki's release date got moved up. So on the heels of the Phase 4 trailer this week, Marvel Studios and Disney Plus released a new Loki video that reveals the series will now debut June 9th, two days earlier than its previously announced June June 11th uh, debut. Uh, thereafter, new episodes will premiere Wednesdays, making it Marvel's new television day. So, I mean, hey, that means it's just less time that we have to wait for the series to, like, debut. So I'm totally cool with it. Uh, I'm wondering if this is going to be like, you know, Disney Plus's like new MCU show like day going forward for like all of the series, uh, you know, since they probably want to like maximize buzz and probably don't want to compete with like that full slate of like films that are dropping over the next like three years on Fridays. But holy crap, like after watching the phase four like teaser and like this Loki video, it like dawned on me <laughs> how much fucking like 
Marvel content we're going to be getting over the next like three years between like the series and the films. It's just insane. But for fans like us who happen to have a podcast that, you know, talks all things Marvel, um, it's definitely not a bad problem to have, right? Hell yeah. <laughs> but no, I didn't really think about it that way. I, I didn't think about all the films that are being released on like Thursday and Friday. It makes more sense, of course, to release it on Comic Book Wednesday, you know, when new comics come out, right? Mm-hmm. No, I agree 100%, <laughs> right? It's perfect synergy, right? Exactly. Well, on the DC side, Joker 2 still in development? So, in a recent report from THR, it was noted that the Batman, Gotham PD, Joker, and its planned sequel all exist outside the main DC extended universe. And while this info isn't really new, the fact that they actually mentioned the Joker sequel was interesting because the last time we heard a anything about it uh, was back in 2019 when it was reported that Phillips was in talks to return for it. Um, But yeah, there was a report soon after claiming that previous report was completely false and then Phillips himself soon weighed in saying there's no contract for us to write a sequel and we haven't even approached Joaquin for a sequel so I don't know um this might be a big deal or it might be a typo I personally enjoyed the Joker film but at the same time I don't even know if I really need a sequel to it I kind I'm kind of fine with it just being like its own standalone thing all I know is if they're going to continue the story, they better have one hell of a script. I mean, I don't know, Christian, how do you feel about a Joker sequel? I mean, yeah, I agree. I feel like if it doesn't have the right script, then please don't fucking do it. But it's Warner Brothers. Um, right now, AT&T is a mess. They're selling off things left and right, and uh, they, they need something good. I can, only, I can only imagine that they probably said this to investors, like, hey, we have a Joker 2 coming with, without it actually being in any actual production plans. So I wouldn't be surprised right now. I I hope not. (laughs) (laughs) They just have a way of ruining shit. So, Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, no. If they get Phoenix back on board and they have the right scripts, then, you know, hey, go for it. But otherwise, just don't fuck with it. You know, do do a different Joker film. You know, I mean, or I mean, here's a novel idea. Like tackle a different DC character because there's tons of them. So um, I feel like they're very focused right now. Like, you know, on this like set core of characters. I mean, I know we're getting like a Black Adam film and that's awesome. But like, you know, I mean, there's so many different characters you can go into. I mean, save the Joker for something else. I mean, Iron Man wasn't the biggest like fucking character when that movie came out. Do something new. Exactly. (laughs) All right. Up next, Twilight of the Dead, the final zombie movie written by George A. Romero is getting a second chance at life. So before he passed away back in 2017, uh, horror master George Romero had been developing one final zombie movie titled Twilight of the Dead. Well, THR reported this week that Susan Romero, wife of the late zombie film director, uh, has quietly been working with screenwriters on the script and is now seeking meetings with directors. Uh, As the site goes on to explain, Romero had written a treatment for Twilight of the Dead with uh, Paolo Zelotti, who is now trying to finish the project. Susan Romero has been quoted as saying, I gave him my full blessing as long as I could be there every step of the way for it to remain true to George's vision. Uh, We had a solid treatment and the beginning of a script. I can 100% say that George would have been incredibly happy to see this continue. He wanted this to be his final stamp on the zombie genre. 
So while I love George's like original Dead trilogy, the last couple like films he did, uh, you know, zombie films that is, were a little, I don't know, lackluster. Um, so I, I don't know. It's cool to me that, you know, his final vision for the genre is gonna get to see the light of day. I just hope they get the right group of talented people to pull it off. I mean, his legacy has like influenced so many like huge names in Hollywood, um, especially director wise. So it'd be fun to see like, you know, a big name like, you know, maybe like Edgar Wright, like jump onto the project. I think one of my big things is like, I hope that they, you know, keep their word with like having, you know, uh, his wife stay on board with it. Cause there's too many stories nowadays where like, you know, people give their blessings for these films. They, they just want a part of it, be somehow involved. And then the studio drops them or, you know, does something against their wishes and they have to leave the project. I mean, we just keep seeing that with like um, a lot of remakes and stuff like that. No, lately. I agree a hundred percent. I think she's, probably savvy enough to handle that though because she's like helped george like produce his films in the past um so i, I think she kind of has a grasp on like the ins and outs of hollywood and you know how all that shit goes down a lot of times uh -huh. so um <laughs> but yeah no that's definitely a danger when you know dealing with studios and shit but i have a feeling it's probably going to be shot like you know completely like independent which would you know, totally be in the spirit of, you know, all of Romero's films. All right. Well, lastly, we have a teaser trailer for season four of Stranger Things. How are you today? Good. I'm glad to hear it because today I have something very special planned for you. Eleven, you're listening. So, Christian, I'm not going to lie, like, I almost, like, completely forgot about Stranger Things somehow, and I love the show. <laughs> but it's been, like, two years since, like, the last mm -hmm. season. We got, like, a teaser back in, like, February last year, um, and then, you know, coronavirus happens. So they got shut down. I mean, the world got shut down. Um, I know that they kept on trying to go back and start shooting again, but then, you know, things would just get delayed over and over again. So I don't know. It's just been kind of like out of sight, out of mind, I guess. But I got that like nice, warm, cozy kind of feeling like watching this teaser trailer like, oh, things are getting back to normal. Stranger Things is, you know, hopefully coming back soon so <laughs> knock on wood they're still in production uh but you know it mm -hmm. seems like hopefully we'll be getting like a release date sooner than later uh the fact that we got a teaser now feels like it's gonna get released at least this year maybe later on in this year um but that might just be wishful thinking so, because I right you would think that if they do a teaser now that they wouldn't be releasing next yeah. year well, because, I mean, our speculation was that it was going to be Thanksgiving time this was year, Was it the right? speculation? Like, because that seemed like that was Christian, the next holiday for them to do. have we been talking about this on the show, and I just, like, have totally blacked it out? <laughs> well, no, 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 no. Okay. The last time we talked about it was okay. last year was when that like, trailer came out. But... I was like, when was the last time we even talked about Stranger Things? It's just been a while, so. Because I remember in season three, I think the next time that the two of them would have seen each other would be Thanksgiving time. That's why that, oh, that's where we we're going you, for. Got you, got you. Right, because the first and I believe the third season came out in July. And then the second season, wasn't it like October? Yeah, it was for Halloween. Okay. And then they started, you know, just going on this trend. Well, maybe, maybe <laughs> this will be also October. 
So like, like Impossible. you know, they go July, October, July, October. You know, mm-hmm. or maybe they just don't know because everything's crazy right now. So <laughs> exactly, I, and it's kind of suck because those got those kids are growing I so know. fast, and they're like, I know, <laughs> all their voices have had to change. I mean, think about what they had uh-huh. to do the sequel to it. Like they had to literally mm-hmm. CGI those kids because in those like couple <laughs> years they all grew like a foot. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's gonna be really tough. Um, you're gonna have to suspend some disbelief, you know. I mean, like Finn Wolfhart's got to be like six feet tall at this point, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> so <laughs> his voice is probably deeper than mine. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, the teaser opens up. Uh, it seems like we're back at the laboratory. Uh, it it definitely feels like a flashback, um, you know, to uh, Levin's time there. Uh, Doctor Brenner or Papa um, uh, is walking down this long hallway uh, towards a laboratory filled with other patients who look exactly like Eleven. He greets the children and he lets them know that he has something very special in store for them today. During all this, we hear like Eleven, like breathing hard, kind of hyperventilating. Um, You know, maybe this is a flashback or a dream or a nightmare. Um, But then we hear a voice say, you know, Eleven, are you listening? So um, in the lab, there's some like close-up shots to this pegboard where we see one of the peg one of the discs like drop down to the number seven. I don't know if that's like an Easter egg of some sort, um, but it seems like we're gonna be like diving into Eleven's past here. Um, you know, which only makes sense for, you know, the history of the show. How sucky would it be if that's like how they decided what kid gets experimented on that day? Oh. Is like if their chip lands in that yeah. hole. Well, that would definitely explain like Eleven's anxiety if she's having a flashback watching like, you know, the disc drop, you know, into the pegboard. What, what the hell's the, the pegboard called, Christian? You said it off mic. What the, what is Oh, the Blinko <laughs> board from <laughs> Price is Right. Price is Right. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess I'm just not a huge Price is Right fan. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing. Um, yeah, I mean, that's all I really got from this, though. Um, did you pick anything else up? Um, not necessarily. I mean, it's super short, man. It's just him walking down a hallway and talking to yeah. some kids. <laughs> <laughs> but it's definitely teasing his return of some sort. I mean, even uh-huh. just in like flashbacks. I mean, the last time we saw him, right, he was getting eaten. Yes. <laughs> so. Getting eaten by the demigorgon. So Ugh. could he be in the upside down? Like, how does that work? I, I don't, don't even know. remember, honestly, at this point. <laughs> I don't think he, I feel like if you got killed, you wouldn't be in the Upside Down, or at least. Right? Okay. I, I don't so know. Ma- <laughs> so maybe we'll just see like Matthew Bodine in like flashbacks or something. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of diving more into like what actually happened to Eleven, like her like true origin story. Exactly. I'm assuming she's probably going into a like state where she has to like, you know, search maybe her own memories to solve a grander mystery as uh, the show tends to work out with. So, yeah, well, we know that we're probably going to be getting the search for like Hopper also Mm -hmm. in this season since the last teaser we got, like, you know, over a year ago was Hopper in that like Russian prison. I don't know. It's nice to know that we're going to be seeing the gang from Hawkins sooner than later. Absolutely. Well, Damon, we watched a show this week. That's right. In celebration of Star Wars Day, we got the first episode of The Bad Batch. Warning, spoiler alert. Spoilers for Star Wars The Bad Batch ahead. You have been warned. Stay back! Just hear me out. No! You killed her! The others did. I'm just as confused as you are. 
So if you listen to the show, you know I definitely had mixed feelings when they announced the series. While the Bad Batch arc in the final season wasn't bad by any means, um, at the time I was just so itchy to see like how they would wrap up Ahsoka's storyline in the series and like how far they would go like into like Revenge of the Sith that, I don't know, the Bad Batch episodes just kind of felt like filler to me, for the lack of a better term. Um, but that being said, when the first trailer for Bad Batch like dropped, my eyes were open to the potential of the show. Uh, we were going to get our first real look at the aftermath of like the Clone Wars and see the galaxy's reaction to the rise of the Empire. And man, after the first episode, I'm happy to say David Filoni just like knocked it out of the park. Um, from the opening scene, like watching Clone Force 99 react to the horrific events of Order 66 just had me hooked. The confusion of like them trying to come to terms with what the hell's going on and the fact that they're tested right from the beginning and end up staying true to who they are regardless of their orders. I mean, well, at least most of them did. I don't know. It, it just sold me on this team of characters as leads of this new series. Uh, they did a great job also of giving each character their own unique personalities, which has always been an issue for me with some of the clones. On top of that, right from the beginning, I love the fact that we're dealing with the ramifications from Order 66 and the events of Revenge of the Sith. Um, I just felt like it was perfect. I also liked how right away it seems like we're going to be tackling some big storylines and questions like what ends up happening to the clones or like, you know, the freedom fighters who are fighting alongside the Republic. Uh, what about like all the surviving Jedi? Like in the first episode alone, we see a lot of familiar faces with a promise of more to come. But anyway, after this first episode, and mind you, it's only one episode, but The Bad Batch feels like a worthy sequel series to The Clone Wars and hopefully a fun journey into this uncharted, at least on the screen, era of one of my favorite franchises of all time. I gotta agree, I was a little nervous to get a clone-centric show, but I mean, even though like we haven't been with this team as much as, like I don't know, Cody and Rex and stuff like that um, throughout The Clone Wars shows, these guys, you know, their personalities just fly off the screen. Um, and you know that it and that really makes them likable and relatable Filoni has you know really continued to refine these animated series as he's gone on in my opinion he really seems to get his audience and while it still has a lot of fun moments this episode really captures the dark tones of the end of Clone Wars and as it stands so far seems like it's going to be a worthy successor so far <laughs> this is only episode one though yeah no, uh, it's still pretty early <laughs> Um, you know, these shows like the audience have matured and Filoni has really maximized on this. Uh, and that really does make me excited to see what comes next. So, man, I really hope like Tarkin sticks around as our like big bad for the show. Uh, he's such a great villain and I love that he gets to like live on through these series. Also, like getting the surprise of like seeing like a young Kanan as Padawan was an awesome touch and added so much to that scene. Uh, it's really cool that we're going to get to like catch up with a lot of like established like Clone War alum. Like, you know, uh, for example, Saw Gerrera and see how like they're handling this like new chapter in the galaxy. Spoilers, Saw isn't handling it well at all. Uh, it, it just gives, like, Filoni the ability to, like, continue to play with some of the great characters that he's, like, created. And at the same time, like, tie up any, like, loose ends and give them, like, closure or, you know, develop new characters while he's at it. Exactly. Like, uh, who knows what we're, who we're going to meet in this next episode? Like, there was a little uh, tease at the end of it where they were like, oh, we're going to go meet our friend over in J19. So, yeah, I mean, you know what I want to see. 
I want to oh. see the rise of the Inquisitors, man. Oh, okay. Like I want to, <laughs> I want to see like the beginning stages uh -huh. of like the legendary Jedi hunt. Um, that's always been like a dream of mine. So um, we'll see if we get to see that like kind of like play out here. But no, yeah, I agree. Tarkin was really great. I definitely think he's going to be our main like enemy throughout the entire show. Uh, maybe just hunting them down and stuff like that. Or at least as a background piece, as maybe he sends an Inquisitor. That'd be pretty cool. I, I'd love to see an Inquisitor in the show. Yeah, right. Um, do you think we get like an Ahsoka cameo? Or do you think they like leave her off the grid, you know, just to make it even more special when we eventually see her again in either like the next season of Mandalorian or in her own series? I think we might get a like Jedi cameo at some point in the show, but I don't think it's going to be Ahsoka. I think they're going to save her at this point. You know, um, especially we've already gotten so much of Ahsoka out of Clone Wars and Rebels. And now with this new show, whatever, whenever that's coming out, I'm imagining they're just going to save it for that at this point. I also wasn't annoyed with like Omega as a character, mm -hmm. uh, which I was really worried about <laughs> when I first saw the trailer. I was like, oh, another young kid to like watch after and everything. Uh, but no, she, I, I was fine with her. I mean, it's obvious what they're doing with her. She's probably like, you know, she probably has all the strengths of all the clones combined. Um, so it should be interesting to see like what she adds to their story. Mm -hmm. uh, um, if I did have like one critique of the episode, I wish Crosshair, like, his decision um, to side with the Empire was his own and not because of, you know, the, you know, remnants of the chip that mm -hmm. they've all been kind of, like, programmed with. Um, I think that would be more of the interesting choice, especially since in the beginning episode you had that conversation between, um, I believe it's Tech and Wrecker, where, you know, Tech is kind of like, you know, poking the bear, if you will, like saying that like some of Rucker's like personality has like been like pre-programmed through his DNA. Um, so I thought that would be more of like the interesting choice where, you know, hey, Crosshair is just a fucking bastard. And he, mm. would, he would choose to, you know, side with the Empire. I mean, I think there's still time if they want to continue to explore that and maybe see if like, he just went that far and maybe that, that whole test they did was, you know, just it was hurting him, but maybe it wasn't yeah. too much. But I I do think that they will stick to it being just like, oh, it's the chip doing it in the yeah. end. Yeah, it just feels it's... a little too safe for me, but mm -hmm. it is what it is. I get it. Um, you know, to have this guy be this just bloodthirsty psychopath, mm -hmm. I guess, is a little too much, you know, for this show. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, I'm worried that they're going to use it as like an out. Like eventually they'll capture him and then attempt to like, you know, take the chip out mm -hmm. and he'll end up like rejoining the team again. Ah, but what if they do take the chip out and he continues on with his warpath against them? That would be a nice wrinkle, Christian. Yes. <laughs> I, I would definitely be down for that. All in all, I do see a lot of potential in this show. I think there's a lot that we'll still learn from Omega. I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing more from this character because, I, yeah, this is the first kid character I actually don't have a problem with coming from Filoni so far. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. You know, usually they annoy me right off the bat, uh -huh. but <laughs> it took me like two seasons to warm up to uh -huh. Ahsoka, so I, I totally get it. I think Ezra was a little bit faster, but, you know, either way. Yeah, still... Ezra was about a season. 
I kind of I kind of hated him at first too. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Well, I'm sure we'll be talking about it throughout the season, uh, and then eventually giving a full review once it's over. Yeah, hopefully it's a good batch of episodes. Boo. <laughs> that was horrible, man. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> All right, Christian. So the first season of Invisible has come to an end and you've got a review for us, correct? That's right, Damon. All right, let's get into it. Warning, spoiler alert. Spoilers for Invincible ahead. You have been warned. And now our feature presentation. We need to talk. What I'm about to tell you will change everything. Dad. 17-year-old Mark Grayson is just like every guy his age, except that his father is Omni-Man, the most powerful superhero on the planet. As Mark develops powers of his own, he discovers his father's legacy may not have been as heroic as it seems. All right, Invincible is created by Robert Kirkman and stars Stephen Yoon, J.K. Simmons, and Sandra Oh. You know, the last time I brought up Invincible, I kind of made a statement about how this show wasn't quite at the, you know, the same level as the boys when it comes to violence. Well, the season finale for this show really shut me the fuck up because, I mean, that was probably some of the most brutal shit I've seen animated in a while. And the fact that the battle takes place so close to home in Chicago, I mean, man, that might have been a little too close to home. But I digress. In Invincible is another one of those superhero shows that takes on challenging themes and gives us R-rated battles. And I know what you're saying. I've already got shows like that, you know, coming out of the MCU and hell, even Amazon Prime has the boys. But Invincible is a standout show on its own that, you know, I but Invincible is a standout show on its own that I highly recommend. Its familiar but unique characters are really a fun play off the superhero stories that we've already seen a million times, but we get those like drastic real world consequences when we see our heroes in action. Um, the show follows Steve Yoon's character, Mark Grayson, who just so happens to be the son of this world's version of Superman, Omni-Man. Through Mark's discovery of his powers, we get to see how being a superhero works. We get elements on how, you know, the government is involved how citizens view heroes and we get a lot of play and twists on your you know your typical animated superhero show uh, you know think young justice if it were made rated r and even though you can telegraph the story up until its final episode i think the payoff makes it all worthwhile and honestly leaving me wanting a whole lot more Performances across the board were great and believable. I mean, the Grayson's family dynamic and how the events, you know, play out really had you feeling for Mark and his mother, who is played by Sandra Oh. Um, J.K. Simmons as Omni-Man is fucking fantastic. It makes me want to see him as more than just, you know, J. Jonah Jameson in the MCU. I honestly think this is going to be, you know, Amazon's next big hit. And I definitely say check it out, even if you're not really into animated shows. I still think this can grasp your attention. All right, Christian. So what grade would you give the first season of Invincible? Um, for my grade, I'm giving this an A-. And honestly, the minus only comes from being able to see where the main plot of the show is going. A little too well at times. But it makes up for that with great side characters, relationships, and incredible action, plus a whole lot fucking more. Um, like I said earlier, the finale was amazing and made me want this show to continue for years. And luckily, we have already gotten an announcement for seasons two and three, which I, I just, come on, 
animate faster, bring it on out. I want to see where the story is going. Am I, I might even pick up the book at this point. Cause I mean, why not? <laughs> All right, we'll be right back after this quick message. Strong is the brand new single from Joe Tyrone, produced by Mike Shinoda of Lincoln Park, streaming everywhere now. I'm not always gonna be as strong as I am. Well, Damon, it looks like you watched a horror film this week. That's right, I saw Jacob's Wife. Warning, spoiler alert. Spoilers for Jacob's Wife ahead. You have been warned. I want to make my own decisions from now on. You ever see something you couldn't explain, Sheriff? <laughs> you don't know how to fight for me because you've never done it. Give me the strength to save her soul. <laughs> we need to finish this. How you gonna write this one up, baby? Domestic dispute. Bodies start to pile up when a woman discovers a new sense of power and an appetite to live bigger and bolder than ever before. This was directed by Travis Stevens and stars Barbara Crampton. So Jacob's Wife is a horror comedy that cleverly uses the vampire genre to explore a relationship in crisis. And played by the truly underappreciated horror legend Barbara Crampton, has been married for over 30 years to Jacob, a church pastor played by Larry Fezzedin, another genre great. Once a free spirit and over the years has been reduced to a subservient church mouse, losing her own sense of self to the strong-willed Alpha Jacob. Constantly talked over and minimized, she's slowly being suffocated in the relationship. That's until during a rendezvous with an old flame, she crosses paths with a vampire called the Master. It's only here when Anne starts to transform and become the undead that she truly feels alive again. So I really enjoyed this film and I think part of it's because it like surprised me. Knowing the premise going in, I almost expected it to be a movie centered around Anne getting revenge on her like, you know, overbearing husband and like gaining her life back even in death. But instead we get a more complicated mature story where we see Anne and Jacob like try to make it work, even though like they're in this unhealthy marriage and Anne's a freaking vampire. Like they're willing to actually fight for each other. And Anne becoming this like supernatural creature not only gives her strength, but it also helps like rekindle like a dormant love that's always like existed. Um, you know, she just wants to be treated as an equal partner who controls her own destiny. Um, at the end, like the future of the relationship relationship is left wide open, but like I enjoyed that they didn't like wrap things up with a nice bow because marriage is always a work in progress. Like now, mind you, this is all taking place within the confines of like a classic B-movie aesthetic. I mean, bloody practical effects done on a shoestring budget with some good old fashioned horror tropes thrown in for fun. Like as a horror fan, this was a gory good time. And yes, I could see how like some of the tone shifts could be jarring, but I would argue that all these ingredients did nothing but enhance like and add charm to the core of the story at the end of the day. And like the vampire like subgenre is just the perfect vehicle for the themes that they were exploring. I gotta tell you, I was incredibly impressed with the director, Travis Stevens. Um, the way he used the camera added just so much to every scene. He managed to make grocery shopping feel ominous. Also, the score by Tara Bush, I think just took this film to like another
another level. It manages to feel like it's paying homage to other classic horror movies, but yet feels strangely like unique onto itself. Uh, the performances by Crampton and Fezzedin, like are simply wonderful, and I'm glad that they got to star in this film, and hopefully it'll lead like others to like discover their rich like filmographies. My only critique, honestly, is I wish they did more with some of the other roles in the movie. Like, I don't think it was like the actor's fault by any means, but they just felt a little uninteresting and bland. And that includes the master. I just wish they would have given her a little more to do here. I mean, this is very much Anna Jacobs like story, but that doesn't mean you can't dress it up and surround it with some fun, memorable characters. But all in all, that's my only real issue with the film. Well, Damon, what grade would you give this? So I'm going to give this movie a B. Uh, this film exceeded my expectations by giving me a much more layered story than I was expecting. Jacob's Wife is a blood-soaked good time that horror fans should definitely check out. It's available on VOD now. Well, now it's time for Christian's Corner. Yeah! All right, so literally today in gaming, I got my hands on the full release of Resident Evil Village and wanted to give you my initial thoughts. After playing the demos throughout the, you know, the entire month, really, I've been getting pretty excited for this game's release. And today on my stream, we started Resident Evil Weekend, where I'm going to be playing the game all weekend long um, at 12 noon Central Time. Definitely join us on Twitch. But uh, my initial thoughts so far, you know, within like the first four hours of the game are pretty positive. However, I've been a bit surprised on how easy things seem to be. Um, the introduction of the game is awesome and feels like a true adjustment adrenaline rush when you get to first meet these lichens. You can really see the influence of Resident Evil 4 just from the opening of Resident Evil 4 itself being very similar to this game. But I also feel like the moment they have there well, was cut a little too short. I kind of wanted a little bit more to happen there. Maybe even a puzzle like forcing me to have to figure out how to get to the next part before I got captured and all. But you know, once I got past those um, early demo parts of the game and Heisenberg's games, which he you know forces you into after you're captured right then, the game started to feel a little bit more tr like a traditional Resident Evil experience, you know, once you're actually in the castle. I think the limited time arrangement of the demos made me rush a bit more as I kind of felt like I was unaware of how much damage it was really going to take to kill a lot of the smaller enemies that you fight throughout the game. But once you really get a grasp on like how much it's going to take to actually take down each guy, um, I, th I think my fear level definitely dropped. Because even on top of that, our mini bosses so far with Lady D's daughters aren't all that terrifying and actually are kind of easy to defeat once you get into their boss battles. Lady D herself though is, uh, is pretty fucking dangerous. Um, her nails are pretty fucking badass too and leads to a lot of really cool moments with her. But I still have more to do in that part of the game where I still have to defeat her and of course the final daughter. I'm assuming I'll defeat um, Cassandra who I think I have left and then it'll be Lady D. But all in all, um, the action elements feel really good. Um, you know, shooting feels very fluent. Um, I, there's never been a moment where I feel like I'm too low on ammo, which I definitely think, you know, is another thing that goes towards, you know, my fear level. Maybe if I put it on a higher difficulty, there'll be less ammo around and stuff like that. Um, crafting feels super fluid. Um, you know, everything with a Duke has been super cool to check out and figure out. Not too hard though, because once you defeat like a lot of these bigger villains, you get these like 
uh, crystal skulls and stuff that he'll pay up the ass for. So I'm like, I'm getting money left and right, um, and I'm able to upgrade my shit real fast. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, a part of me still feels like I've only put, like, maybe my feet into this game so far, you know. Uh, but I will just say, you know, it definitely feels like it's missing a lot of the horror elements that we had in Resident Evil 7. Which I which is one of the main reasons I praise that game so much, is how much of a horror game it really is. But again, there's probably still a lot more this game has to offer me at this point. So, join me live this Saturday and Sunday as I continue to find out what that might be. Um, you know, we're, we're going to be playing the game all weekend long. It's Resident Evil weekend, baby. And also make sure to subscribe to us on Twitch if you're interested in winning a copy of the game. One lucky subscriber will be chosen on Sunday um, during the stream, probably closer to the end of or middle of that stream. Um, and I'll let you know if you've won the game or not. You just have to be subscribed to me on Twitch and you are immediately entered into the giveaway. Of course, next weekend, if we're not done with Resident Evil, we will continue playing it. Uh, we will also be returning to Witcher 3's expansion packs and continue our massive death count in Sekiro Shadows Die Twice. Now on to wrestling. And it was a hell of a battle on top. This is they, they, they submitted to protect Chris Jericho. Wait, wait, no, come on. Hey, he's a sick little bastard. I'm telling you. He's, he's up oh, over no! Oh, no! My God! My God! What do we see? Get the doctor there quick as you can. Chris Jericho thrown off the top of the steel cage. God Almighty! All right, so this past Wednesday, it's been pretty much a year in the making. We finally got to witness AEW's blood and guts. I mean, if you remember, it was before the pandemic that they started to, like, tease this. Uh-huh. And then, you know, because of everything that was going on, they didn't want to do it in front of, like, you know, no audience. So they turned it into, like, the stadium stampede. So, I mean, it, it's nice to finally, like, be in a place where, like, hey, we can actually have an audience, you know, to witness these people kill each other. <laughs> I've seen uh, rumors that they want to do full, like a full crowd for um, Double or Nothing. That's what I'm hearing, um, or at least as big of a crowd as like Florida will let them have at this point. Um, although it's Florida, I feel like they've been acting like, you know, the virus isn't a real thing since like yeah. the very beginning. <laughs> so I don't even know what that means. But, you know, we'll see what happens. This was definitely the biggest crowd they've had um, since the pandemic, though. Oh, yeah, you could you could definitely tell. <laughs> well, starting off this night, we had John Moxley and Eddie Kingston defeating Kenny Omega and Michael Nakazawa in a tag team match. So I don't know what I was expecting from this match, but like I just felt like it was kind of a mess. Um, like from the opening bell, like, you know, um, Omega attacking Kingston and uh, Moxley with the belt. Uh, and then it just was like chaos. Uh I'm wondering why they didn't make this like a no DQ match because it just felt like out of control and all over the place, like from the very get go. Uh, you know, it just I don't know. For me, I get a little annoyed when like AEW just kind of like, I don't know, forgets about the rules. There's just like so many times where they're inconsistent with like what they allow and what they don't allow. And I think it ends up hurting mm -hmm. them. Um but that being said, it is what it is. I know it was just really a way of, like, you know, continuing the storyline between Moxley and Omega and Kingston now. Um, 
I was really expecting Kingston to be facing Omega sooner than later. Uh, but it seems like from what we heard you know, later on in the show, that's not going to be happening, at least on pay-per-view. So I'm wondering if that's going to end up being like, uh, you know, a, a TV match at some yeah. point. Because here I felt like, you know, after this match uh, with all the interference from, you know, the super elite or whatever the hell they're calling themselves now, uh, it seems like they're more setting up like at least to me it felt like they're more setting up like a match between like moxley and kingston and like the young bucks or moxley and kingston and the good brothers so i feel like those matches are coming sooner than later uh but you know it is what it is like i said maybe we'll get kingston versus omega like on tv i I would be really interested in that match um just because i feel like you know styles makes a great match and like seeing those two different styles mm. i'd be interested to see like omega's reaction to kingston style so um i don't need to see nakazawa by the way <laughs> <laughs> like i know he's played a role but like he does nothing uh. for me in the ring at all you know and then the stupid fucking get up and everything it, like i'm having flashbacks to corporate kane you know, oh, with the khakis. Yeah. <laughs> and like like I said before, it just drives me crazy that like he's choking him with his fucking, you know, um, headsets and the ref's not really mm. doing anything about it. And it's just, I don't know. that It was just real. Maybe I'm sounding like an old man screaming at clouds, but it was just kind of worried <laughs> on me. It's dynamite because they really felt like they were kind of getting together. Like lately, and now I don't know. It, this this was definitely a step backwards. Yeah, I, there was a couple awkward moments in this match. Like there was this part where like Eddie Kingston was like no selling these chops in the corner, and like I don't know if the camera just didn't capture it well or what. Yeah, but he's just looking all over the place, and it doesn't look like he's like he just looks like he's just no selling. There's nothing really happening. So right. I noticed <laughs> that too, like throughout the uh -huh. night, like weird camera angles. Do you think it's because they had the two rings? up do you think that it was like the positioning of the cameraman it's possible because like even like there's a beatdown that happens after this where we have the you know the elite come out and all that stuff and they're all pandering to one cameraman and for some reason the directors d decided not to clue them to in that camera like clue them in that yeah. they're on the wrong camera too because uh -huh. usually the cameraman would say hey wrong camera or something you know so mm -hmm. there's a lot and we'll talk about it later on <laughs> There's still a lot of production shit that like, yes. AEW <laughs> needs to really iron out. So because some of that shit just looks really bush league at times. But yeah, this match was what it was. Um, it just felt super chaotic. And I know it was meant to be, but it really felt like they were just kind of like winging it. Well, uh, up next, we had Cody Rhodes defeating QT Marshall uh, by submission in a singles match. So this was a much better match than I was expecting. Like, I'm still not invested in QT Marshall as a heel. Not at all. At all. <laughs> but I'm hoping that, like, this match between the two was kind of like the blow off. And now Cody will, like, move on to, to Anthony Agogo. So, and I have no idea if he could work or not, but it seems like they're really building him up. I mean, he's a great talker. But, I mean, this match was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. It got a lot more time than I was expecting. Mm -hmm. I mean, this went 12 minutes. Um, but once again, what hurt it for me was just the inconsistency yes. with the fucking <laughs> rules. Like, what's going on? Like, okay, so Cody gets his belt taken from him by the ref. And then QT gets a belt. And is able to literally whip Cody with it in front of the ref, and there's no repercussions whatsoever. And then outside of the ring, like Arn 
attacks QT. And he gets thrown out, but it should just be an automatic, like, DQ. Yes. And <laughs> it's fine if AEW wants to come out and say, hey, you know, when it comes to DQs, we're going to be a little more lenient with the rules. It's up to the ref's discretion. But, like, I feel like they need to, like, like just put out, like, a press release or have a statement from Tony Khan. Like, this is how it works. Because you can't pick and choose. You know, and when you have moments like that, it it, for me as a fan, it's hard for me to suspend my disbelief. You know, like I just need that consistency. So, I mean, we call out WWE all the time when, you know, they pull that shit. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, it shouldn't be any different here. Um, You know, and if, hey, if you want to have these spots in the match, I mean, one, I feel like there's ways to do it and work around it, like have the ref turn his back and have QT whip him um, or, you know, have, you know, the tussle between Arn and QT happen while the ref is distracted. Yeah. But, like, I mean, you have two other guys out there to do that. So but like if you're going to do it, like there's ways to work around it. But at the same time, or just make it a no DQ match. Like, I mean, <laughs> say that up front. <laughs> like, it's that fucking easy. Yes. So, like I said, I felt like they were getting better at this. But for some reason, it just feels like, you know, this past Wednesday, they really regressed. I mean, while I agree, those those spots really did harm this match. I I enjoyed QT Marshall in this. It's like, I think the first match I really, really got into QT Marshall fighting. And I think it once we got past, you know, those first five minutes and the rest of the match went on, I, I think, you know, there was some great moments there, at least between Cody Rhodes and QT Marshall outside of, you know, the moment with Arn and everything. But uh, <laughs> I, I agree. I mean, they, they need to work on these spots better and at least – say something because I, I i'd be willing to you know um suspend disbelief like how i do for new japan where the ref literally sees everything and they constantly are saying on the commentary like oh it's to the ref's discretion yeah you know they they you know Although they're constantly that drives me that a little crazy at times too <laughs> so i won't lie <laughs> but at least come out and say that you know because uh-huh. um i think it was the first match with moxley and kingston and omega and nakazawa um where like the commentators jr was like having to like make excuses Mm -hmm. you know for the ref just like not really enforcing the rules like he had to like say uh, at first he asked if it's a a texas tornado match just because it's (laughs) you know insanity in the ring and then like he's like well maybe you know the ref is intimidated by kenny omega and like you could tell like the commentators, they have to, like, protect their integrity and, like, call out mm-hmm. things because otherwise we're just not going to trust what they say. But they shouldn't have to do that. You know, that it just feels like lazy, like, you know, booking, honestly. I mean, at least they're, they're, they've they gotten really good at it, <laughs> making excuses for things. I guess. But, like, you can kind of <laughs> see through it at times, though. Uh-huh. So, I mean, it just I think it could hurt the product overall in the long run, though. You know, consistency is important. You know, I mean, there's so many just workarounds that they could do if they want to work that style of match. I mean, I don't know. Like a heel cheating should be a big deal. And when you don't actually react to it, then you take away that moment. And -hmm. then just becomes another move in the match. You know, that should be a big moment in a match. And if you're going to just let it slide every time. You know, what does it even matter anymore? I hear you. Old man screaming at clouds. I told you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, up next, we had Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, 
with her good friend Rebel, of course, defeating Julia Hart by submission in uh, about one minute and 29 seconds. Yeah, this was a squash match, um, oh. but it was nice to see Britt <laughs> on the show. Uh, they're definitely building her up for, you know, her championship match with Sheeta. So um, I'm guessing that's probably going to happen at Double or Nothing. Yeah, um, I think Brent Baker's going to go over in that match. I think it's uh, time. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. Um, it was about around this time where we get this kind of interview with uh, Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky in the back. And Darby Allen tried to attack them and it didn't really work out in his favor. <laughs> no, he got tossed down a flight of concrete fucking stairs. <laughs> Which was just brutal to watch. I was like, oh, my God. He totally dislocated his shoulder. I don't know what the fuck this guy's doing. I mean, it's insane to watch. It's not my body. So, But at the same time, I hope he's not taking years and years off his career. You know, I don't know if he just needs a governor on him where, like, you know, maybe Tony <laughs> Khan, like, reigns him in sometimes. Because, like, this feud has just begun so mm-hmm. this feels more like act two of the feud, not like the first thing you do here. But I mean, maybe part of it, too, is the fact that they announced that Miro is going to be getting a title match against Darby next week. So they can use this injury for the reason why Darby ends up losing the belt. Because um, I really feel like, you know, Miro's walking away with that TNT title. Um, how have you felt about this duo in general with Ethan Page and um, Scorpio Sky? I'm still not sold on Scorpio Sky as like a heel. Um, I like Ethan Page a lot. I love Scorpio Sky's ring work. Um, mm-hmm. But in the charisma like department, he, I don't know. He seems to be a little lacking at times. So, But I mean, it, it's still early on. So maybe he'll get there. Yeah, there was just something about this promo where it was just like, I I liked the lines, but I didn't believe the delivery. Yes. So there was... On Scorpio's know, part, there. that's how mm-hmm. I felt. Ethan Page is a great talker, um, and maybe I'm just looking past it just because I'm a fan of his, but <laughs> I believed him. It's Scorpio, who I almost felt like he was reading off like cue cards or something. But yes, once again, p- please don't kill yourself, Darby. <laughs> please don't. I mean, uh, I, I have a I have a good feeling that, you know, all these stunts are his, you know, making, and I don't know if anyone's going to really be able to tell him otherwise. But, uh, well, you know, I, it, there's a time where <laughs> Khan has to step in and say no. Like, <laughs> it's a little much. I mean, he's got money invested in the guy, for crying out loud. So true. Uh, well, up next, we had a fatal four way tag team match uh, for a future AEW World Tag Team Championship match. Um, this featured SoCal Uncensored. Uh, we had the Jurassic Express uh, at the Acclaimed and the Varsity Blondes. You know, going in, we have this storyline where SoCal says we're pretty much going to break up if they don't win, uh, you know, the title in the next year. Yes, which is something they set up like months ago. And now they're Uh finally like paying that whole storyline off because there was a a moment where I was like, did that shit happen on like, you know, dark or something? And, I, you know, I didn't like catch the highlight. I was like, are are Christopher Daniels and Frankie still together? Um, But then, yeah, they came out, I think it was last week and they challenged the the young bucks so i was like okay well we know how this match is going to end up working out i don't know how like or why as number one contenders they need to like you know win this match to get a title shot 
I'm not, I uh, don't know either. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little weird, but I still like the whole ranking system. And I still like, mm. you know, the fact that they're tracking wins and losses because I do feel like it adds a level of reality that, you know, is kind of lacking on the other shows. So, um, but yeah, I just wish they would kind of explain some of the logistics of like the decision making here and there. Uh, but yeah, so, but it, it was a fine match and everything. I, I think it was just kind of predictable. So I don't know. At this point, I was just ready for blood and guts. Yes. Uh, I mean, the match itself, like, you know, I hate it when they only do two guys in the ring. But the amount of times people were just running in in general, like it, it almost felt like a t- uh, tornado tag yes. match uh, 90% of the time. So, I mean, it, it, it really didn't hurt in the end, but... There was no rules. <laughs> it was very New Japan. No, no. It really was. It really was. Um, I'm impressed with, uh, you know, I think they're really like coming into their own and starting to click together mm-hmm. as a team. So before we moved into the main event, we had a special announcement regarding Omega's title. Omega got on the mic with uh, Tony Schiavone. Uh, they basically announced that next week there'll be a number one contenders match for the um, AW championship between Orange Cassidy and Pac. Uh, Kenny was great here. It felt like he was stalling, though, right? Like, it just felt like he was going on and on. And Shivani kind of looked like he was like, you know, like, let's wrap it up. What's going on here? Uh, But, yeah, it was nice to see, like, the Impact title. But at the same time, I think it would have meant more if Kenny was actually, like, at least, like, carrying it and, like, celebrating it a little, along with all his other titles. Um, You know, act like you, like, give a shit about the belts. I'm fine with, like, Nakazawa being kind of, like, his belt caddy, but at least, like, walk out with all the belts so you get that visual and, you know, you give the illusion that you actually give a shit about these belts and then, you know, pass them off to Nakazawa, you know? I mean, because if I'm in Impact, like, what did that do for me and my company? Mm-hmm. you know not much right <laughs> so uh but yeah no i the the promo was good i mean orange is super fucking over like it's nice to actually hear a crowd like a you know a larger crowd respond to him yes. so um although i did feel like okay well it's obvious that orange is gonna win this fucking <laughs> match here the fact that like pack didn't come out i mean maybe pack isn't you know in the states right now but mm. I don't know. It just felt a little too obvious where they were going. Yeah, it. I mean, it's definitely going to be Orange Cassidy versus Omega, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> there's there's no doubt in my mind at this point. No, I agree. Uh, but I'm, I'm happy to see the match. I think it's going to be a good match. No, it should be interesting. I'm sure Kenny is, you know, chomping at the bit to, like, work Orange's style. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, last but not least, we had the Pinnacle versus the Inner Circle. In a blood and guts match. I love this match. Um, It had a big match feel to it. I got like goosebumps when like the first two guys got in the ring. Um, I I believe it started off with Sammy and uh, Cash. So I I just, I don't know. It it was just perfect for me. Like it felt like an old school war games match. So like, you know, the matches that I remember as a kid. Uh, you know, I love that it was, you know, submit or surrender, um, you know, no pinfalls, no escapes, none of that bullshit. I actually enjoyed the fact that they had, you know, the top on the cage, um, you know, no reason for like, you know, a ledge so they could do high spots and bullshit like that. Uh Um, you know, this should just be a fucking brawl. Like it should be a massacre. And that's what like old school, like war games matches were like. And that's what we got here. Like this was a bloodbath. Um, 
Um, but they worked out a lot of like nice like moments that really told like the story between like these two factions. I love that Sean Spears kind of felt like he got his mojo back. He was finally able to use the chair again, which like became his gimmick, but he never fucking mm-hmm. used it. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, no, this this was a great match for both factions. Um, and I really feel like it put Pinnacle on the map. No, man. I mean, like as someone who hasn't seen any of the original like matches, you know, this was great to like actually get to witness what these like fucking war game style matches should be like, mm-hmm. you know, every single person got busted open within about five minutes of the match. Yes. You know, <laughs> yes, it was it was it crazy. was a mess, you know, but like hearing mm-hmm. the crowd's reaction to like, you yes. know, the next person entering, you know, the, the cage and the fact that like it was only two minute interval instead of like three minutes or four minutes. I don't know what NXT does, but it always feels like that match like goes on forever. Um, and it, I think it also gets hurt by the fact that you can't have blood in the WWE anymore. So for me, something I bumped up against, you know, watching those matches is like you have all these weapons. You have this giant steel cage, yet no one's bleeding in this match. <laughs> this just felt like an old school, like horsemen versus like, you know, the road wars and like, you know, dusty roads, like, you know, war games match where it was just a fucking all out brawl. But um, with a lot of great like storytelling in between, my only real big issue with this was like there was just so many TV breaks um, and mm-hmm. I wish like some of the moments were timed better with the picture in picture. Like we missed the whole moment of like, you know, Tully taking the keys from the referee and opening up the cage for MJF to like escape like that happened like picture in picture. So when they came back, you just see MJF like on the cage and Jericho like climbing up. Like I got to get better. Maybe just, you know, paying attention to picture picture, but it was really Uh hard to tell what the fuck was going on. So like, I kind of found all that out with like Tully after the fact. So like, I just wish they could like time those moments a little better. Um, but yeah, no. And then of course, like you have the ending. Like I liked the story that they were trying to tell with the end. Um, I knew that's probably where they're going. Like the inner circle had to lose this match, but mm-hmm. since it's like a surrender match, I was like, well, they're going to have to do something where a teammate looks like they're going to get seriously hurt. Like I had a flashback to, and it's one of the worst war game matches, but like Back in WCW, it was the Horseman versus the NWO. Kurt Henning ends up betraying the Horseman in the middle of the match. They handcuff all the Horsemen to the cage. And then Flair is, like, on, like, the apron. And they're threatening to, like, use the cage door to decapitate Flair if the Horsemen don't give up. And then Uh eventually... You know, the horsemen give up and that way they're like able to like save face as, you know, the baby faces of the match. So I was like, okay, they're going to have to do something similar. And they pretty much did. I mean, they had Jericho on top of the cage. He's a bloody mess after getting hit by the fucking stupid diamond ring, which is still around for some reason. (laughs) Um, You know, MJF is threatening to throw him off the cage. I knew it was going to be Sammy who is going to end up, you know, surrendering uh-huh. just because, you know, just because Jericho's like his mentor. Um, but yeah. And then the moment where, you know, MJF says, fuck it. And like pushes off anyway. I was like, okay, well, I saw that coming, but what I didn't see was the poor choice of camera angle. 
Mm, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's once again, like one of those production things that like AEW is still like struggling with at times. And I don't know if it's like their director, because I can't imagine them planning that shot out beforehand. Because like you're giving away the magic, like you've got to go wide there. So you just get the visual of like Jericho, like falling off the cage and you get an idea of like the height that he's falling from. Yeah. Where like if you get too up close, then like you're, you're going to see the, the crash pad and the fake panels and shit. Because I mean, I, I heard people on Twitter complaining that there was a crash pad. I was like. You fucking assholes. You want him to die? Like, what are you what are you expecting? And there's crash pads all over WWE. But the difference uh-huh. is they shoot them better. Like, it's the way they like it. And at times you still see them, but you're able to suspend disbelief enough where, you know, you can get over it. Because, I mean, still falling off, you know, falling from like, you know, 10, 12 feet in the air, regardless of what you're falling into, is going to fucking hurt. So I just love all these people on the internet, like, complaining and shit. It's like, you would get hurt falling out of bed, asshole. Like, I mean, are you fucking serious? Do you want it's Jericho a to stage. die? <laughs> well, someone was like, well, exactly. he could have at least fallen through a table. I was like, fuck you, you fall through a table. <laughs> Jericho's like 50 years old. So, right, I mean, Jesus. once again, I think it's more of a question of camera shot. Like, if you go wide mm. there... It's not an issue and no one's talking about it. But also, like, I had – there was more moments like that where, like, Jericho and MJF are on the cage and you kind of see them, like, talking to each other about what's mm-hmm. happening next. And then when Jericho's laying in the ramp, you also see Jericho kind of, like, open his eyes and then realize the camera's there and then he has to close them quickly. But, he like, he's keep like, he keeps on, like, peeking out of what I – at one point it's just like really awkward it's like all right like Uh, the cameraman has to be communicating like with the wrestlers like okay you know i'm on right now so i mean there's a way to do these things without like do they not have um agents the way wwe does like like they'll have the ref like telling them what's going on and stuff like that they have agents yeah i mean like uh dean malenko who's out there is an agent Mm -hmm. um billy gunn is an agent so they have jerry lynn so they do have like you know agents and producers like wwe does not as many maybe but I don't know if they just don't do, like, enough walkthrough before the match, like, letting, like, the director and the cameraman mm. know, like, all the different, like, bullet points of the match, um, just mapping it out so they know what shot to get. And maybe, you know, it's, I, I don't know. I, I have no clue, Christian, why this keeps on happening, because it, it feels like we're two years in at this point. They really need to start ironing this shit out, you know, because it makes them look bush league after a while. Mm-hmm. Like, I can understand the small spots and the and a lot of the improvised spots that, the, of course, they're not going to be prepared for that. But this was definitely yes. planned. Like, this was a big moment that was planned to happen. This is, like, one of the biggest moments of, like, you know, in the history of Dynamite, honestly. Exactly. So to fuck it up is pretty unforgivable. Um, I don't think it's as bad as the ring not exploding. You know, uh-huh. <laughs> and the match. But, I mean, it still did kind of suck. Uh, but it is what it is. Like, it didn't ruin the match for me overall. No. Um, and MJF, like, they did a great job of getting, you know, w- awesome shots of MJF on top of the cage. And sometimes they do a great job of, like, capturing those moments. But other times, man, I don't know. I feel like they're, like, I don't know, 50-50 at best. No, I agree. Uh, th- I mean, that's been the theme of the night, really. It was just, like, camera issues left and yeah. right. 
Um, but it, I, I, I want to say it is what it is, but I mean, it's not just, just do better. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. I don't know if like, you know, Tony needs to just like crack the whip a little more or what, but too many times with these bigger matches, the conversation becomes about like these botched spots and not about the match mm-hmm. itself. You know, and that's happened frequently recently with like AEW. You know, it's like, I know we're being a downer and all, but I mean, it still was a good match in the end of the day. I agree 100%. I love the match. Like I said, it did not ruin my enjoyment of the match. Mm -hmm. And, you know, honestly, they're just going to WWE it and like give us a different camera angle, like when they replay this or, you know, (laughs) next time we see like a highlight of this match and, Uh you know, slowly but surely, like the memory will be erased. So it is what it is. Um, but overall, I thought this was a great showing for the Pinnacle. Like I said, they had to win here. They're, they're a new faction, so it makes perfect sense. Um, but this does feel like just the beginning of like the feud between the two groups. And I'm really curious to see where they go next. Um, do you think that they will try to make this a yearly event? Or do you think they will no, like, they, I, be sparing? No, because they shouldn't. Like It should, it mm-hmm. should only happen organically. So, and that's how it used to be back in the day. Like, it, we didn't have, like, a set fucking Hell in a Cell pay-per-view match. Yeah. The Hell in a Cell just happened on a pay-per-view when a few dictated it. So, and that's when these matches matter. If you have it set up and, like, oh, look at that. I'm going to challenge you to a Hell in a Cell. And it just happens to be the month that we have the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view. Uh-huh. Like, it's like, okay, come on. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay to be unpredictable and, like, you know, have these gimmick matches actually like carry some way to matter you know honestly i'm i'm actually pretty like excited for next week though uh, they set up a lot of things during this episode and i mean it's all stuff that we've seen coming but it's like we have darby allen versus miro for the tnt title we got orange cassidy versus Pac. uh we got young bucks versus scu for the AEW tag yeah. team it, it almost feels like a pay-per-view amount of like championship title matches here uh we have john moxley versus um ug Nagata. 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 Okay. We have John Moxley versus um, Nagata for the IWGP US title. So it's like we have crazy amount of matches next week. I still don't get what the hell's going on with like <laughs> this forbidden door. Like, I don't know why they can, you know, defend the like, you know, New Japan title, US title uh-huh. on like TV, but we can barely mention the Impact title. So it just, I don't know, but I mean, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited for the card. You're right. It is a loaded card. It really is. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and I, I can't wait to see the Bucks, you know, get tons of heat for like ending, you know, SEU's career. Because <laughs> that's happening. Because <laughs> that's definitely happening. And I'm glad that Miro's finally back on track. Yeah, you know, this is the Miro I wanted to see from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. So like this monster character and you can have him like hold this belt for a long time and make it a big deal when he finally does lose it. So I like really love Darby, but I'm actually hoping Miro does end up, you know, getting the win here. I mean, it's always great having a heel champion like this and you know, damn well down the road, it's just going to be Miro versus Cody. I think that's probably the, the logical. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, if that ends up happening, that's going to be an awesome match. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, well, if you had to give this uh, week's episode a star rating, what would you have given it? So, like, inconsistencies and, you know, bad camera angles and production issues aside, I'm going to give this episode of Dynamite four stars. Um, You know, the blood and guts match alone was enough to make this an incredibly, like, memorable night um, and really just establish 
you know, this as a big match for like, you know, the future of the company. No, I absolutely agree. That is why I'm giving it four stars as well. With what we got with this match, with the uh, Blood and Guts match, uh, really stepped it up. It really was great to have something like this free on TV, like we said earlier. Uh, Just fucking awesome to have that uh, experience uh, available for everyone. Definitely say go check it out if you haven't seen this week's episode. Um, You know, DVR, AEW when you get a chance as well. Well, that does it for this week. That's right, and as a friendly reminder, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, remember to subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. Exactly. It sure does help an independent podcast like ours continue to grow. And while you're at it, make sure to tell a friend. Plus, if you like any of the stories we talked about on this week's episode, make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to catch the full articles, trailers, memes, and more. That's right. You can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show on all social media platforms. And hey, if you're looking for extra content, make sure to catch our streams every weekend on Twitch, plus YouTube videos Monday through Friday. Want to support the show further? You can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some amazing Nerd Show merch. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, sure we'll send you some next week for your weekly smorgasbord of nerdy goodness. Oh, uh, yeah. You're the... W- you're the worst hype man of all time. <laughs> Flavor Flav is rolling over in his grave, Flavor and he's Flav. not dead. At least I don't think he's dead. He's is he not dead? dead. He's not dead. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I promise. Okay. Uh, Bob Barker dead? No, Bob Barker's not dead, dead either. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Bob Barker's gonna outlive us all. Yes. So. He cannot be killed with conventional weapons. <laughs> All right, my name's Christian. And my name's Dan. And make sure to spade and neuter your pets. That was the Amazing Nerd Show. The attendant on my life has left me scarred and the old.